Yeah, we're good. We, me and Charles had this conversation in the car. All right, <laughs> <laughs> you, you. Like I specifically remember talking about because I was like, because I think we were we were on our way to the interview on Auburn Ave, right? Because you were driving me. And you were talking, and I was like, I was like, oh, how'd you get into this? She's like, oh, well, you know, I, I worked the past the 26th Amendment. And then, you know, I was just sitting there pretending I knew what the 26th Amendment was. And then... <laughs> yeah, but see, whether you knew it or not, you're the product of all the, the work. This is Live the Legacy, a podcast presented to you by the Andrew Goodman Foundation. Today's guests include Charles Kopelman. Charles is a filmmaker, writer, and producer. He makes documentaries, music videos, and commercials. And 50 years ago, he helped lobby in favor of the 26th Amendment, which lowered the voting age in the country to 18 and protects against age discrimination at the ballot box. He now lives in Berkeley, California with his wife, Deborah, where he is working on a documentary about the youth vote. We are also joined by Evan Malboro. Evan is a native of Smyrna, Georgia. He was an Andrew Goodman Vote Everywhere ambassador during his time as an undergrad at Georgia State University. Evan is a current Puffin Democracy Fellow with the Andrew Goodman Foundation, as well as a brand ambassador for Mars Wrigley and Instagram. Evan is the founder of the Georgia Youth Poll Worker Project, where he recruited over 1,000 poll workers to work the 2020 general election and the 2021 Georgia runoff. Evan is also a writer who has been featured in publications such as Forbes, Blavity, Teen Vogue, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Without further ado, please enjoy the latest episode of Live the Legacy as we bridge the past and the present to move forward together. All right, let's hit it. Hello, hello, Charles. Nice to see you. Nice to be here. Thanks, Evan. Know how the tables have turned, right? <laughs> you know, this is the we, we switched interview positions for my first meeting, so it's nice to see you again. And yeah, I would love to, you know, poke around in your brain a little bit for the next few minutes. Sure. So, um, you lobbied and helped pass the Twenty Sixth Amendment, which currently in the year twenty twenty one is going into its 50th anniversary. So what was that like? Because as a 23-year-old, thinking that um, the idea that there wasn't time when 18-year-olds couldn't vote is completely foreign to me. So what was it like advocating for a, a constitutional amendment, but also a constitutional amendment that specifically changed um, one of America's fundamental rights as in voting? Right. Yeah, no, it was pretty exciting. Um, at the point where I got started, I was actually 17, and I had just graduated from high school in California where I grew up. And I went to Washington, D.C. for a workshop in government and politics, because that's the kind of thing I was interested in. And one of the guest speakers uh, was from an organization that was heavily involved in lowering the voting age called the Youth Franchise Coalition. And I was looking to stay in D.C. for the summer. So I just went up to him afterwards and pitched him and said, I really like what sounds like you guys are doing. Do you need any help? And he said, yeah, we can't pay you, but um, we'll pay your expenses. So I was like an intern before we used that term a lot. And I spent 
the summer. I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, oh, really? What was it yeah. called? What was the term called? I don't know. He just said, yeah, we'll bring you on, but we can't pay you. So I guess, I don't know, maybe intern was used. But um, so I got to work in Washington for the whole summer. It was a very small group, coalition of other organizations like the ACLU, uh, the Lawyers Committee on Civil Rights, NAACP. And there was just a handful of us. And we were starting on all fronts at that point. There were activities in the states to lower the voting age in various states, especially Ohio, other parts of the Midwest. We weren't sure what was going to work. So we started everything. And that was the state by state and also the federal idea of lowering the voting, voting age nationally. And, um, you know, coming out of high school at that point, late 60s, uh, it was pretty intense politically. You know, the war in Vietnam. So the rights movement was, you know, still bubbling. So there was a lot of energy and a lot of justice issues having to do with voting. Wow, wow, wow. And just for reference for those listening who are probably my age as well, what was the voting age before the 25th Amendment, 26th Amendment was passed? Right. So at that point, it was uh, a state-by-state determination. Really? States set the voting age. And like today, the local and state jurisdictions have a lot of control over voting, voting rights, voting rules, voting regulation. So at that stage, I believe Hawaii had a 19-year-old vote and Alaska had a 20-year-old vote and Ohio had a referendum that was on the ballot to lower it to 19. So it was a real like hodgepodge of voting ages. The rest of the states were all 21. And one of our points to the Congress and one of the lobbying issues was, hey, let's uniform. This isn't fair, you know, that if you're 19, you can vote in Hawaii, but if you're 19, you can't vote in California. So there was a lot of, you know, logic into making it uh, one set age. So how did you guys settle on the age of 18, right? So you're at 21, there was some 19, there was some 20. So what made you go all the way down to 18 and and even stop there, right? So why not 17? Why not 16? Right. I think the main reason was that that was draft age, mm. that you could be drafted at 18. And not only did it seem like a point of justice in terms of if you're going to be drafted, which you know people aren't familiar now, but if you were drafted, you had to go in the army, you know, either that or you had to try and get a conscientious objection ruling that, you know, you didn't believe in war and so forth. So you had to go fight at 18 if they drafted you. And obviously the war was very controversial in terms of whether it was moral, whether it was correct and so forth. So it became a justice issue at 18, but it also was, in terms of the draft, a kind of logical number since there were some at 19, some at 20. It's like, let's just make it all 18. So let's um, kind of move off the topic and talk about strategy, right? So you were able to pass a constitutional amendment without the internet, without social media, before cell phones. Hopefully I'm not like totally aging you, but you were able to, you know, organize, um, help organize and play a part in a massive movement without many of the, um, what is it? Many of the amenities and activist tools we have today. 
So what strategies did you guys employ to a, get the word out, but then also change public and um, public opinion in the opinion of elected officials as well? It was a lot of what we still do today underneath the digital kind of activism and organizing, um, letter writing, um, face-to-face organizing, especially on campuses, meetings, rallies, um, like I said, state capitals, testifying, getting hearings set up, getting people to go to those hearings, um, press activity. And I think what's made this special was because it was a coalition of other organizations that had large memberships, um, it was fairly straightforward to get the word out sort of through all the, you know, organizations that were part of this effort. So, for example, I can remember um, if we needed to get the word out in a certain state because there were hearings coming up, we would contact our member groups, pick up the phone, uh, write a letter saying, hey, dear YMCA or dear ACP, we have some hearings coming up next month in the state capitol. We need to get some people out. So you just build it, you know, that way. And um, there are no shortcuts. You know, even today with the digital organizing, as you know, you still have to follow up. You still have to be persistent. Uh, You still have to count how many do I have, how many do I need. and remind people to show up, all that stuff uh, we had to do too. Well, that's amazing, that's amazing. So um, going a little bit deeper into strategy. So who was the biggest standout or the biggest opposition to lowering the voting age to 18? And how did you change their mind? Uh Uh-huh, good question. There was a lot of opposition, especially from um, politicians who felt threatened by an expanded franchise, um, mostly Republicans, but even some Democrats who were in districts that had large campuses or a young mm-hmm. demographic, they immediately felt the um, political threat potentially of losing the next election if thousands, maybe millions of people started voting that weren't enfranchised. So that was kind of the core opposition. And there was no real way to change their minds so much as to present arguments on our side, because it's hard to argue with a politician. Yeah, you might lose your election, but so what? I mean, you know, that's, that's their job. Um, as it turned out, ironically, after the voting age was lowered, um, you know, it didn't make that much difference at the beginning. Uh, a lot of these politicians who were worried about it, in fact, did get reelected because there was a lot of apathy. There was a lot of getting young people up to speed with how to register and how to vote. So the immediate impact actually was not present. And I think probably a lot of the opposition maybe did their own research, you know, did their own polls and figured out, yeah, it's maybe not going to hurt us that much. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So you talked about in your, in, in that last statement, how, you know, there was this idea that, you know, things didn't really change immediately after lowering the enfranchisement age for um, young people. So now, um, you know, as we're seeing 50 years later, now we're seeing that young people are now kind of taking the reins of the election system, right? You know, in this past election, 50% of young people actually turned out to vote in the presidential election. And in my home state of Georgia, one in five voters during the subsequent double Senate runoff were young people as well. So. Going um, back to, you know, being 17, 
in the late 60s, height of the Vietnam War, trying to pass an amendment to give uh, those very same young people the right to vote 50 years later. How does it feel now that now, now, now the Generation Z generation is coming out in such droves to vote? To vote? It's terrifically exciting to see what's happening with, with young voters. Um, you, for example, as a, a poll worker and training other poll workers and expanding not just the franchise, but the hands-on work that young people can do to protect the franchise. I mean, it's, it's terrifically fulfilling. And that's one reason I'm making this documentary about the youth vote, because what we started in the late 60s and what passed with the 26th Amendment was terrific in itself, but maybe it's taken this long to really evolve and grow into something that's deeply meaningful for American politics. Uh, and sometimes these changes have an arc, you know, that's not, not quick, that takes a while to have impact. So seeing those numbers, like you spoke about, you know, it's, it's, it's terrific. And um, I'm hoping to capture some of that kind of history back then, um, the moment now in the last election and what's going on now with voter suppression efforts, capture that in this documentary film. I'm in production on uh, what I think is going to be a half-hour documentary in a series on voting. And this first half-hour is about youth voting, and it combines a look at the past with, as we spoke, efforts to lower the voting age, how that happened, who was involved, and then a look to today with what young people are doing, not just with the vote, uh, on their own behalf, but organizing for others to vote, encouraging registration and being active citizens. And so that will be the idea of this half hour, and we're hoping to finish it before the end of the year while it's still the 50th anniversary of the 26th Amendment. Amazing, amazing. Thank you, thank you. Well, speaking of voter suppression, right now we see a large amount of voter suppression bills and voter um, suppressing level reforms to our election systems nationwide, right? You know, Texas is passing laws um, restricting voting. Georgia has passed laws. Florida has passed laws. All coming, kind of following a common thread, right? You know, restricting no excuse absentee ballots, um, lowering the times for runoffs and elections themselves, lowering resources, and then also increasing red tape on local precincts. So how do you feel about um, these new um, reforms, the negative reforms that are coming about because of the 20, of what, what many say is because of the 2020 election? Every time I read another story about these uh, local regulations and state regulations that are either proposed or actually adopted, I just, it's just painful. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really uh, hard to understand and hard to take. And um, I feel like the other shoe hasn't dropped yet. I'm just hoping, I'm not involved politically that much, I'm a filmmaker, but I'm just hoping that perhaps at the federal level, uh, the national legislation will somehow squeak through, or there'll be some judicial effort to normalize, regula uh, normalize elections and regulate them uniformly. I mean, it's very similar to the 18-year-old vote. And some of those issues are going to come back to the surface, which is local and state regulations that are not consistent. So a lot of how I feel is, you know, 
people are paying attention. Smart people are paying attention. People who have stakes are paying attention. So maybe this, you know, can get stopped or even rolled back, but it's a big concern. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to all those listening, please look up the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, as well as follow a lot of the cases that are challenging these laws across the nation. So, uh, Charles, my final question, let's say, you know, a young 17 year old fresh out of high school walks up to you and says, hey, you know what? I want to pass a constitutional amendment. (laughs) Such a tall order these days. Right. But it wasn't it wasn't so much of a short order back then. Right. It's true. I mean, just to be fair, it wasn't like just my idea. There were a number of people that when I jumped on were already active for a couple of years. And plus, uh, and this is what my film will get into, some of the uh, national political leaders were trying to do this starting in the 40s. Mm. You know, a couple of senators, uh, Jennings Randolph from West Virginia, introduced a bill every year, I think starting in 1947 to lower the voting age. Wow. It never got anywhere. Um, it was always voted down. But there were some key people who had been beating that drum for a while. Um, but that said, um, if someone came to me and said, hey, I want to get involved in making some major change, whether it's voting or some other political structure, you know, as I learned, find, find your brothers and sisters. You can't do it by yourself. And um, Find the organizations that are already doing that. Like I was able to jump onto this youth franchise coalition in Washington, D.C., because uh, they're probably out there. So find them, talk to them, um, volunteer, see if they're open to having, you know, you help them, which they usually are because they're always shorthanded. So be part of something bigger and then, um, you know, be patient. It's not going to happen overnight, whether it's 26th Amendment turning back bad voting regulations like we're seeing. All that stuff takes time. And uh, young people tend to be impatient, but you've got to kind of stick with it and understand that if enough people get together and are smart and have a good strategy, it could happen. I mean, we were surprised. I was surprised, actually, looking back to realize how bipartisan that 26th Amendment was. Uh, It passed by a huge margin in Congress. Yeah. And it has to be ratified by state legislatures. And that happened, I don't have the exact number, but in a matter of months. Mm. I mean, the states said, yes, 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 yes. It was the fastest adoption of a constitutional amendment in American history. Oh, wow. So you never know if your timing is good and you sync up with supporters and allies. I mean, we have footage of Barry Goldwater, the very, very conservative senator from Arizona, testifying. Uh, in Congress in support of the 18-year-old vote. And it was very bipartisan. It's hard to imagine there were Republicans who actually supported this idea. And the climate in Washington was not as uh, split and as combative as it is now. All right, cool. So, Charles, why was it important, right? The 26th Amendment made it legal for 18-year-olds to vote nationwide. So why is it important for young people, especially, you know, the 18-year-olds coming up now? Why is it important for them to vote? Once you get in the habit of participating 
in you know our political culture and, and, and government, then it's a habit you're going to continue. And so the earlier you start, the better. And the more it'll become part of your life and just kind of a natural thing you do every two years or four years. And, you know, if you haven't voted yet, try it. See how you feel when you go in. Uh, now it's probably more in person. Uh, or even absentee and you drop off the ballot in the, in the mailbox. Just see how it makes you feel inside because um, you will realize, I think, that it connects you into American society and government in a new and different way that you didn't expect. I just believe that that's what happens. And when my wife and I go to vote, of course, my kids are more grown now, but when they were young, we always took them to the precinct and they got to stand in the booth with us and just see it and experience it. And, you know, that kind of thing helps you understand your connection to the process. And it's really important to realize, yeah, every vote does make a difference. It sounds like a cliche, but there's so many elections that have been so close. Wow. Wow. Well, Charles, any, uh, any lasting words or any, any um, last tidbits of advice? Not really, just that I, I hope people listen to this um, will understand that social change is kind of a lifelong commitment. Mm. Um, whether it's you know, an issue this month and maybe it's going to be a different subject a year from now or 10 years from now, whatever, that's fine. Just stick with it. Do your thing. Be part of it. Mine now is making films about it. Um, which uh, is my little contribution. And, uh, you know, I think, Evan, you're a terrific model for what young people can do. This concludes this week's episode of Live the Legacy. Thank you to our guests, Charles Kopelman and Evan Malbro. And a special thank you to Tabik Music for all the music that you heard throughout today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Live the Legacy podcast, please leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Until next time, this has been your host, Mo Banks with the Andrew Goodman Foundation. Bye everyone.